Are you tired of feeling like you don't measure up to society's narrow definition of success? Or have you ever been excluded or had your talents dismissed because you didn't check off all the right boxes? In this episode, we'll explore the importance of recognizing individual strengths and obliterating the conventional standards for achievement and inclusion. We'll discuss how you can help yourself and others break free from the success trap and redefine value with neurodiversity in mind. Hi, I'm Dr. Teresa Haskins, and welcome to Think Differently, the podcast that challenges the status quo and explores the power of neurodiversity to create a more inclusive and accessible world. Together, we will talk about everything from the value of different perspectives to the limitless potential of human beings. We'll explore how embracing differences can lead to endless possibilities and how you can maximize strengths to make a positive impact on the world. So sit back, relax, and join me as we get ready to think differently. Hi, today we're gonna talk about the success trap and how others' definition of success significantly impacts achievement outcomes and ultimately determines whether a person is deemed proficient and worthy of inclusion. And while the success trap can impact any one of us, the metrics used to measure development, functional skills, and other types of work requirements disproportionately impacts those with neurodivergence in negative ways. As a decision maker, whether you're an educator, psychologist, doctor, leader, or parent, we often define success based on a normative set of rules or a checklist of what we believe constitutes progress and good. However, this rigid definition of success can be limiting, ending up excluding otherwise talented people from opportunities to participate fully at work and at school. When we create a checklist of what good looks like, we may be inadvertently creating unreasonable standards and trying to hold unique individuals to an idealized schema of a person, of how they should be, of how they should operate. And ultimately, we create a definition of what is desirable and acceptable to belong as an equal member with their peers. And these checklists can be problematic because when we encounter someone who demonstrates skills outside of our list of expectations, we may dismiss those strengths or fail to recognize them as capabilities at all. Instead, we are so hyper-focused on measuring the items on our list that anything outside of our checklist is ignored. Because we're only looking for data that aligns with our grid measuring what we are told of requirements, omitting data that doesn't answer the questions and counters our view of reality. This ultimately determines whether a person is considered deficient or not. The awareness of both formal and informal checklists to measure people is especially important to consider when supporting autistic and other neurodivergent individuals. If we honestly intend to create more diverse and inclusive environments, 
where we recognize and value the unique strengths and abilities of each individual as neurodiversity requires, then we need to raise an awareness of these mental and tangible checklists that we use to measure other people's abilities that ultimately determine who is included and the worth of an individual. It's essential that we reassess our definition of what constitutes capabilities, recognize skills outside the checklist, and make space for those differences to not only be acknowledged, but captured as recognized skills that add value that ultimately leads to success. This also requires us to challenge any limiting beliefs, including our own, that may prevent us from fully including others. And instead, be open to developing new pathways to support other people's learning, work outcomes, and lifetime success. The idea of the success trap and how it relates to traditional ideas of development and success in school and the workplace is something that resonates with me personally. My personal story informs not only my views on the success gap and the desperate need for change, but also influences my purpose and why I became who I am today. Going back to the early days when my son was small, I recall my husband and I, when we realized that our son wasn't hitting typical child development milestones for a baby and then as a toddler. And that would begin our journey with doctors and psychologists and other experts to better understand our son, his needs, and mostly how to best help him. What we knew is there were many items on the checklist that we had to fill out during his wellness checkups that he didn't demonstrate. However, we didn't really need the state-provided health and development checklist to know he wasn't like other babies his age. He didn't make eye contact. He looked towards us, maybe past us, sometimes through us. But his gaze rarely ever met our eyes. He didn't wave hello or goodbye, let alone speak the words when I returned home or left for work. He didn't say mama or daddy or ask for his favorite toys or foods. He wasn't the same as his peers. After many tests, assessments, and meetings, our son was eventually diagnosed with autism. While we appreciated this new diagnosis, what was frustrating was that while he didn't meet some of the typical development markers on the checklist, there were exceptional skills he possessed that were not considered important during these development conversations. For instance, he could count to 100 at the age of two. He knew his entire ABCs and could read stories to us from his children's book. While he wasn't talking and he didn't say his name, he could speak. By the age of four, he was using a computer, navigating the internet and learning programs, and even memorized and could read and write not only in standard English, but in the font system wingdings. While he had all these skills, he would rarely demonstrate them for others. And because many of the experts didn't believe us, 
didn't believe these parent-reported extraordinary skills. His capabilities were dismissed, sometimes implied that he was mimicking, demonstrating echolalia, or that this was some sort of trained behavior, a performance he was giving, and not real skills. There are a lot of reasons the experts may have dismissed our early reports of our son's capabilities, and I believe that the problem was that he didn't fit the typical construct of what was possible for a child his age. And because his atypical and asynchronous development countered the norm, his strengths were dismissed, sometimes disbelieved, because they weren't on anyone's checklist. It wasn't only a frustrating time, but it could have been a detrimental time for our son's development. If my husband and I had not chosen to create our own path, to homeschool our son, to follow his lead and needs for learning and development, he wouldn't be the thriving young man he is today. What this story illustrates is that there's a danger in having a narrow checklist of development, of success, or possibilities, and ultimately of what is considered normal. It's limiting and it excludes individuals who don't fit the mold and worse, doesn't lead to the right types of support to meet an individual's specific needs. Neurodiversity implies that we acknowledge the variance of cognitive abilities and how we process information and approach the world. That it's important to acknowledge that everyone has a unique distribution of talents and their abilities may differ from the standard. Yet as we say this, we continue to craft standards, requirements, and measures based on the majority's skills and abilities. This results in people trying to pigeonhole others into a predetermined mold that doesn't fit them. It's ironic that many people will say not to try to put a square peg in a round hole, yet daily people are forced to try and conform to molds that don't fit them unless they find ways to profoundly change. It's clear to me that we need to uncover the many leader-created success traps that lead to exclusion of autistic, neurodivergent, and other disabled individuals. If we don't reassess how we measure potential candidate worthiness and employee performance or what desirable skills and success look like, we will continue to align with traditional norms and expectations that we know result in poor outcomes for neurodivergent individuals. If we don't change, we will continue to perpetuate a lack of diversity in our workplaces, including the underrepresentation of individuals with disabilities. And if autistic and neurodivergent individuals continuously don't fit the mold, it will perpetuate many of the biases and stigmas surrounding their condition that impact their lack of inclusion today. We also know that the success trap can lead to a lack of understanding and a lack of willingness to provide accommodations for individuals with disabilities, particularly those who require non-traditional work arrangements or accommodations. Leaders may view these individuals as less capable 
or less successful because of an atypical skill profile and therefore may not prioritize their inclusion or provide needed support. When we examine the concept of capabilities and how it diverges from traditional skills, development, and intelligence, it's important to consider who defines these criteria. Are they defined by the leaders, teachers, and developmental psychologists? Are they the ones determining what's possible and what must be on that checklist? Or do we take a more holistic approach, possibly considering Howard Gardner's theory of multiple intelligences, and create a profile of capabilities based on individual strengths, skills, and interests? If we did that, we could create a team of people whom we could merge together so that each person's strengths complement another's creating a well-rounded and complete team. Unfortunately, many of the strengths and capabilities of the neurodivergent population are often overlooked in the workplace due to traditional requirements for entry. For example, traits like high attention to detail, hyper-focus, hard work ethic, reliability, and trust are highly valued. Yet the emphasis on extroverted verbal communications, interpersonal influence, relationship building, and the ability to sell oneself in an interview can exclude individuals who struggle in these areas, such as my son and other autistics like him. And that's why it's so important to recognize that success shouldn't be limited by these checkboxes created by others. And our ability to fit into predefined boxes shouldn't determine our potential or limit our opportunities to learn, experience new opportunities, or be successful at work. When it comes to developing our strengths, we need to consider whether our talents are valued and recognized within our organization. Simply focusing on developing our strengths won't necessarily lead to success if they don't align with the checkboxes that have been created by others. It seems in many cases, individual deficits are purposely emphasized when assessing employees' fit. Instead, we should be looking at the distribution of strengths and aligning employees with projects and tasks that allow them to shine and be recognized for their unique skills, experiences, and knowledge. We shouldn't be putting in people in continuous stretch assignments and learning opportunities to build skills in areas that they aren't able to check the box. If we apply a strengths-based approach, it not only accentuates the skills somebody has, it's also a powerful motivator. Because when employees are aligned to areas where they excel and they're recognized for their domain expertise, it leads to higher engagement and greater success for both the individual and the organization. That means it's time to rethink the traditional approach to skill assessments and job requirements, which often are seeking to find a jack of all trades to check all those boxes. And it's simply not realistic or fair to expect any one person to have all the expertise that is needed in every team to succeed. They'd be looking for a star in every aspect of the job. And this seems to be something that happens most in corporate America, but there are fields that 
understand the importance of diversifying talent to create a unified star performing team. When you think of sports teams, orchestras, or your favorite rock band, the members of these groups do not have equal talent distributions. Each member is picked for a specific skill and the other members of the team are selected to complement them. If you're forming a band, you need a group with specific and diversified talents, such as a guitarist, a vocalist, a drummer, and a key player. The band doesn't need each member to be a master multi-instrumentalist. However, this is the type of requirements many organizations create, that you must be able to play all the instruments for inclusion, when the truth is, you only need to know how to play one really well. When we focus on creating teams based on strengths, we can break free from the success trap of trying to be everything to everybody and instead create a culture of success that values and celebrates diversity and skills. Now, there are various approaches we can take to address this issue and move away from the traditional wheel of talent assessment. While I often discuss strengths-based models, my experience has been that employees are not selected based on their skills alone. Rather, there's usually a but attached to their skills, such as they have the skills, but they don't fit in here, or they can't do X. Unfortunately, we tend to use one small limitation as a reason to dismiss exceptional talent. To truly think differently about talent and inclusion, we need to move beyond accepting differences in communication or eye contact and address the deeper issue of what happens when people hold others back because they don't fit the standard mold. And this is when we see the success trap in play. When we make decisions based on past processes and models and belief systems that don't allow entry of new approaches and ways of being. When we talk about creating accommodations and space for autistic and neurodivergent individuals, we often default to making minor modifications to help the person better adjust to the normative ways of how things are done around here. This phenomenon isn't limited to the workplace, but rather extends to education and how society engages autistics as a whole. And this accommodation to better fit the approach perpetuates exclusion and places undue stress on neurodivergent individuals to fit in. Often, there are alternate approaches that could be implemented that are counter to others' experiences on how things should be. And it takes advocacy and firsthand experience working with the gatekeeper and impacted individual to implement significantly different and new ways of working. An example of requesting an approach that runs counter to norms was when my son was admitted to the university at the age of 13. And we were told that while he could receive extra time on tests and captioning for video lectures, he needed to learn how to manage his time and organize his work on his own. We were told he needed to better develop his executive functioning skills, which by the way, is one of the areas of autism that impacts him significantly. We were informed we would not be able to assist him with time management or keeping him on schedule and task for classes 
or engage in communications with professors. This type of support was considered unacceptable at the university. We were advised that he needed to become more independent as that was a vital part of being a college student and becoming a functional adult. There was pressure on us to coach him to be more normative so that he could be successful on campus. But this approach is misguided and unnecessary. Because supporting a person with task and time management and helping them with interpersonal communications has no impact on my son's ability to do the coursework, complete the assignments, or take the tests. And you will be pleased to know that all of the professors my son had so far did not agree with the perspective of the Disability Accommodations Department or the university. They recognize that while my son has challenges with executive functioning and interpersonal communications, he excels at coursework, which is the primary objective of attending college. They have been accommodating and sending schedules and updates to me and my husband, and they don't hesitate to meet with us during office hours to address any questions we have. My son is thriving and top of his class. What this experience underscores is the importance of societal perception of what constitutes acceptable support. If society insists that certain requirements, such as time management and interpersonal skills, are entry points for success, then individuals who don't meet these criteria will be prevented from achieving their full potential. This is why it's critical to challenge such notions and recognize that different ways do not mean inferior ways. By breaking free from the success trap and redefining the path, aligning to individual needs, we can create more inclusive environments that enable everyone to thrive, regardless of their strengths and challenges. In my ongoing efforts, to promote inclusivity for autistic and neurodivergent individuals, I will continue to share my personal experiences and encourage others to share their own. It's not an easy task, as I found that people often need to interact with my son or the autistic individual before they are willing to appreciate and accept the need for different accommodations and approaches. However, My goal is for people to respect and appreciate these needs for diverse approaches without having to demonstrate the strengths and capabilities to justify the accommodation or alternative method. In order to create more inclusive constructs, we must recognize that not everyone has the same skill profile and that diversified strengths can lead to better outcomes. As I said, we see this approach in sports teams, orchestras, rock bands, where there are a variety of strengths that are essential for success. Unfortunately, society has created a hierarchy where certain forms of support are seen as a sign of seniority and influence while others are viewed as deficiencies. It's time to challenge these perceptions and redefine what success looks like. When we meet again next time, I will explore how we can create constructs that foster inclusion and further discuss the concept of executive functioning and the administrative support models to support neurodivergent individuals.
In the meantime, I encourage you to share your own experiences and insights on this topic. If you've encountered resistance when advocating for new approaches or accommodations needed for success, please share your story with me and the neurodivergent community at www.teresahaskins.com. Let's learn and work together to redefine success and recognize the value of diverse strengths. Thank you for listening to this episode of Think Differently. I hope you found our discussion today insightful and thought-provoking. I want to thank AudioWorks Studios for their exceptional production and recording support. Without their expertise and dedication, this podcast would not be possible. If you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to share it with others. Your support helps us to reach new audiences and promote neurodiversity in our world. Also, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite platform so that you can stay up to date on the latest episodes. We look forward to seeing you again soon and think differently.